Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Six seconds to go. Comes in to Tucker. Ewing sets a screen. The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket comes. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Struck and Roll. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, and this is episode 14. I'm joined by first-time guest of the pod. His name is Danny Morang. That's at Danny Morang on Twitter. He is the host of the Jack Ramsey's podcast on Blue Wire's pods. He's a Blazers fan. Danny, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. It's like a little... The official introductions always get me just because... Uh, <laughs> I am the least serious person on the face of the planet. So uh, I've, I've done some like some speaking stuff, and I've done some interviews with like J- like big J college students who are just like, "How did you get where you are?" And I'm like, mostly just being an a hole. Uh, <laughs> so don't take me seriously. Don't don't go too far over the top. Like it's it's not that serious, but uh, you know it's it's. That's how it goes. And if, I, I to apologize to anybody listening. Uh, if you hear the occasional puppy bark, uh, I have a, a, a puppy that's been here for a week that is still very excited. And um, <laughs> occasionally, uh, he is my, my dog is uh, very well trained and does not bark, but the puppy does not yet. So you may hear a bark here or there. Still breaking him in. He still he listen. He listens really well. He's really smart. He just uh, he just poops everywhere. So uh, poops and barks. Those are the two things we're working on. Everything else, man, it's just smooth sailing. <laughs> that crating. Listen, man. That first night it was fifteen minutes. The second night, nada. He goes out like a light. So we're winning. We're winning in the long run. I'd rather clean up poop and stay up all night. So it's 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 a, it's a positive process. Before we get started, I have to announce Strickland as Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's $6 here that gets you access to this podcast every Friday that I do with Prez. It also gets you access to the mailbag that I do every other week with Jeremy and Drew. Furthermore, you get access to the Strickland Discord where the conversation never stops. Draft channel has been popping since the lottery. There's further tiers. There's a $9 here that gets you access to my solo pod, Strick and Roll. That also gets you access, much more importantly, to wonderful weekly articles by the tremendous talented duo of Matthew Miranda and Jack Cunley, two of the best in the business. Beyond that, there's further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those get you access to a variety of other benefits like listening in on pod recordings, live watch parties, merchandise discounts, and if you listen to the Monday pod, even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So without further ado, uh, all right, look, we have you here. <laughs> we have you here. Yes, yes. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the Blazers who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, draft night, did not, <laughs> draft night did not go as hoped, but uh, you do have the seventh pick in the draft. Uh-huh. You have some interesting decisions to make. Uh-huh. I guess before we talk about what lies ahead, uh, what the fuck happened last season 
and 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 yeah. I, I mean that in a. I mean, I think there was it was always. Dame is so good. I think he has covered up a lot of regular oh, season God. flaws, yeah. and um, obviously without him, that kind of just did not happen this year. Do you? I mean, were you fine with them moving on? Like moving on from Terry Stotts? <laughs> was that just something that needed to happen at that point? So I, I, I love me some Terry Bear. Um, I, I think he got he he made chicken salad out of chicken shit regularly. I think Neil Olshay's roster building processes was a disaster. Um, for, for like did really well around the edges, like just like reclamation projects, getting something out of it, but just refused wholeheartedly to make any significant changes to the roster. He just would not do it. GMs and executives, agents, players, everybody around the league knew that he was unwilling to trade CJ McCollum. Hilariously, I can't, I, I, I want to credit it, but I can't remember who did it, but it was an article in Blazer Report where David Griffin basically said, yeah, no, everybody knew Neil was never going to trade CJ. And so when Joe Cronin got empowered, like he called Neil to say, okay, how do I get CJ McCollum? Like it's this. So all of the changes that happened, they needed to happen. The problem was the Blazers waited like six, seven months too long to like save a season because this these these changes should have happened a year ago so um terry being let go i mean he it ran his course he was successful but like it, it, things got stagnant neil should have been let go at the same time and they should have moved on from from cj mccullough at that point in time and then, then you can you can litigate the norman powell contract but uh that's what happens when you have a gm who uh gets put up against the wall and just has zero uh, recourse other than knowing he has to resign the guy or he gave away uh, Gary Trent Jr. for free. So, right. right. Yeah. There's, I, there's, there's a lot there. Yeah. And I, I mean, if I remember correctly, when they signed Gary, or the, sorry, when they signed Norman Powell back, there was a lot of reporting that he had just signed the contract because it was like the most money he could get, yeah. but he like, wanted to leave. No, no, he wanted to, he, he absolutely wanted to leave. And actually, the Knicks were a team. Yeah. The yeah, Knicks, yeah. They actually. Know, Tibbs wants it. We know Tibbs wanted him. Uh, the way I was told is that the Knicks were the team. Okay. So, yeah, uh, New York was the team, uh, but they were not obviously going to be able to go that extra year because the Blazers had the uh, bird rights and, and the ability to give them that fifth year. Uh, and I believe Dallas was another team that was was very close. Um, they wanted to do, I think, a sign and trade with, uh, with Tim Hardaway Jr. So... Yeah, I mean that that makes sense because we ended up signing Fournier for the ticket almost price. this exact same yeah. price. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was it got reported as four seventy eight, but it was effectively three fifty four with like an eighteen million dollar yeah. option. Um, obviously, Norm got five years guaranteed, so more power to him. Get that bag, baby. Yeah, yeah. I mean that the Knicks could never match that. So it, it that that definitely tracks. There was reporting even going back to last year's trade deadline that the Knicks were interested in Norman Powell. Mm-hmm. So that that completely makes sense. Um, I want to ask you about CJ McCollum because yeah. you have been pretty vocal about like you think CJ McCollum is a good player, but he needed to be traded a while back. Yeah. Um, and I guess like when did you come to the conclusion that CJ McCollum needed to be traded? And also <laughs> like I don't know. I mean, I know the trade the, the trade they ended up making. A lot of it was obviously about dumping salary. Um, but like now the asset return obviously does not look great. What are your, Mm -hmm. how do you feel about that? And do you still think that like, because of the salary they've dumped and kind of, they have a trade exception and all this kind of stuff that they've carved out from all these moves. Is it still a situation where you're like, if Cronin kind of gets a shit together, like he can definitely still salvage and put together a competitive roster around Dane. So the beginning of this is the whole CJ McCollum thing. 
always have thought you can go back through the the tweet history, the article history, the podcast history, TV history. It's all there. Uh, CJ McCollum, very good player, near borderline all star, but that was like peak CJ McCollum, good player. He's, I think he's what, like fifth all time in scoring now for the Blazers. Like he's gonna, he's probably gonna have his jersey retired in Portland uh, because they retire everybody's jersey. But none of that shit matters. Just like as far as like the team building side of things, like good player. Uh, Pairing him with a better version of him never really made sense. So I was actually one of those guys in 2015 oh, wow. uh, when Wesley Matthews ruptured his Achilles. <laughs> and and that for those that don't know, that, that 2015 Blazers team was... I thought they had a shot. They were a legit title contender. Yeah, they had a shot. That's, that's, that's Damian Lillard, Wesley Matthews, Nick Batum, LaMarcus Aldridge, Robin Lopez. Uh, and if you go look at that bench, you had a Flalo, Will Barton, CJ McCollum. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, even the Aflalo trade was so weird that they yeah. made, but yeah, but anyway, so another trade that I don't that I wasn't a fan yeah. of. Um, <laughs> uh, I should say that they didn't have all those guys on the on the bench at the same time. They had they 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 rotated through those through those trades, but um, after that series against Memphis, when it was very clear that that Lamarcus Aldridge was gone and they were going to rekey and retool, um, I wanted McCollum out, and not because I was like he's a bad player. I'm like, man, he just showed out on grit and grind. He showed he can give Tony Allen buckets. He showed he can give Mike Conley buckets. Trade him. Get assets right now because you're losing LaMarcus Aldridge. Reset. Clear the table around Damian Lillard. And, of course, uh, for those that don't know, C.J. McCollum is is uh, Neil O'Shea's shiny talisman. He refused. That is, Damian Lillard was technically drafted by Neil O'Shea, but he was hired, I think, six weeks before the draft. Chad Buchanan did all the work beforehand. That's that everybody who is inside the NBA knows that the Damian Lillard was done before Neil O'Shea was ever hired. So that wasn't really his guy. CJ was his guy, and he drove through a snowstorm to go see him play at Lehigh. He tells this really stupid story every single time, and it's like the most ridiculous thing. He just makes you want to just, you know, lose your mind. CJ's a good player, but fit never made sense. And there were opportunities to trade and, and to get a Jimmy Butler. Twice there were opportunities for Paul George. Was was uh, that Harden thing real last yes, year? Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay, so well, Harden was what, on the table. The, do you know what the like overall package would have been? It would have been CJ a couple of picks and yeah, like, CJ a couple of picks, and I think there was one of the piece for salary filler. I can't remember exactly how it went out, but the yeah, that's insane. The hesitation <laughs> there, the hesitation there was the free agency, and yeah, Neil yeah, right. would not do it because. And, and the thing is, is the, the Neil and James know each other from from Artesian back in California. Neil okay. used to run workouts like they, those guys are actually really close. Um, but James basically told him like, I'm, I'm going to test free agency. Um, but yeah, that's the, I mean, that's, there's been multiple opportunities over the years for the Blazers to drastically improve. Uh, and Neil just wouldn't pull the trigger. And that was kind of like the leading frustration for, for me because of uh, team building and roster construction. And they also paid CJ McCollum a year ahead of when he should have been paid and they overpaid him and, it put them in a very, very difficult spot that basically led them to where they are now. It was kind of the first shoe to drop. Um, the trade finally happening was because Joe Cronin was like, nah, I need to clear the table of every deal. Right. I, I, like, this is, this is exactly what needs to happen. And so, CJ, good player. Is he commensurate with his contract? In my opinion, no. So, yeah, I think, I think he's probably like, the way I thought of it was, it's, it was an overpay at the time, and mm-hmm. like every year that it, goes down it's like worse yeah Yeah, it gets worse but it's also like more palatable to take on in trade because you're like well there's one less year yeah right right and that's why like i because i suggested the deadline i got a lot of like heat for this for bix fans because i was like 
what if the Blazers would just, I don't remember the exact trade I proposed, but it was like some version of like trading Julius Randle for CJ McCollum. Mm-hmm. And I got like so many Knicks fans are like, why would we do this trade? Randall is like, he was all NBA last year and all this shit. I'm like, yeah, like I get it, but I don't think that guy's coming back. And like CJ McCollum's not the greatest player in the world, but like, yeah. But he can know. dribble, pass, and shoot, which is something right. the Knicks struggle with. <laughs> yeah, and he just gives you scoring. I mean, yeah. I just think there's value to like, like you look around the NBA right now, like it's almost like if you don't have a guard, a primary ball handler, however you want to phrase it, that can give you like 20, 25 points per game a mm-hmm. night with three level scoring, you don't have a shot. Yeah. Um, and like, is McCollum the guy that's going to become like, he's not going to take you to a championship level, but it just gave you another piece. Anyway, I don't want to go too far down the track. I just thought like, to me, like if you would ask me the same thing two years ago, I'd have been like, absolutely not. This mm-hmm. McCollum contract is insane. Like I don't want any. <laughs> but by this time, I was like, yeah, well, you know, there's two more years. Two more years. Yeah. Talk yourself <laughs> into it. Yeah. And here's the thing: like you look at the situation in New Orleans. Griff was basically put up against it. Yeah. Like he's yep. borderline losing his job, and so he had to do something. And the perceived value, depending on who you talk to, there there are some out there like uh, let's just say the, like the ubiquitous Danny Ainge, who you know the, the the idea of what value is is always so skewed of oh I, you know the price was too rich or uh, we could have offered this. Those offers are always out there. But if you talk to the public facing guys, the Zach Lowe's, the Kevin Pelton's of the world on the media side, they all say that, that CJ McCollum's deal is a negative value deal. And so the Blazers took and they were able to get something out of it. Um, the kick in the dick is that the second pick that the Blazers would have had this year that can that would have conveyed was a awkwardly there it is an awkwardly <laughs> protected an awkwardly protected five through fourteen pick that ended up becoming number eight this year. Um, that's a bit of a problem. Uh, Did you like so when I saw that protection? I because I, I thought this like at the time I was like okay look the Lakers kind of suck. Uh, mm-hmm. which I thoroughly enjoy. I hope you enjoy it. Oh, yeah, no, no, listen, man. I'm from L.A., but <laughs> I, I, I I love watching that. It's just, it's just a beautiful thing. Um, but, like, and I was just like, I don't mind, like, giving the Pelicans some kind of chance to keep the pick, but I was like, maybe, like, could they, do you think there was some leeway there that, like, you know, maybe you could have gotten it five to ten protected i don't even know i mean i think it would have conveyed anyway but you get what i mean like yeah there was some leeway there 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 may have been but as far as i understand it larry nance jr was told he was not going to be traded and ultimately what happened larry nance jr was traded i think that was in order to get that pick okay i think that is that is what enabled that like that's why everybody's like well why didn't you get the protections on the lakers pick and i'm thinking because i don't think the deal was that great because you didn't get any of the, like, not even the blue chip guys. You didn't even get the next step down. You didn't even get the white chip guys. You yeah. didn't get a Jackson Hayes, let alone a Herb Jones or, or a, 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 a Trey Murphy Trey Murphy the third. Like, they got Naw and they got Didi. Like, <laughs> listen, like, shout out to those guys. Like, go get your money. Like, I hope you guys figure it out. But Naw's flipped twice before it's all said and done. And Didi at the time had a torn meniscus. So it's like, and and I had Didi at, at Hoop Summit like, two years ago, three years ago. That's the rawest dude I've ever seen. I mean, like, but again, it's just to say like what they got in return. And that's Larry Nance Jr., who they had a first round pick, uh, obviously uh, involved with the Chicago Bulls that they'll convey most likely next year. 
uh, and they had two first-round picks in Robert Covington. So they traded out guys who you had collectively three first-round picks tied up and then basically the last three years, and Norman Powell, who was traded for Gary Trent Jr., who was the what was it, 32nd or 34th pick in the second round? Essentially another first-round pick. So you traded out four first-round picks, basically, and you got back Josh Hart, the idea of a sec- or of a first round pick uh, this year, hopefully a lottery pick, uh, and what ended up being Joe Ingles and Didi Luzada. Like that's not great from the New Orleans side of this thing. So was it great? No. Had that lottery pick conveyed? Because if, if somebody showed a, ch- a graph the other day of the the lottery uh, or excuse me the the playoff chances for the New Orleans Pelicans, like two days before the trade, they were so far out. Like it was the perfect shit show circumstances for new Orleans to make the playoffs. You had to have COVID take Paul George off the floor to have an opportunity to even get into the play in. Like it's just, it's just such a strange situation that everything just played out on top of the Blazers, obviously getting the seventh pick that it's just, it's just one kick after another, and I, I said the same thing in January that I'll say now. Come August 1st, that's when I'm going to judge Drew Cronin because he's dug himself a hell of a hole taking a lot of risks. But the if the opportunity isn't given to try to save it over the next three months, then what the hell did you do? Like, you did it for nothing. You gave Neil O'Shea basically 10 years to tinker around and make mistakes left, right, and center, but you're not going to give the other guy 10 months to try to undo his mistakes. So... While I wish and I hope that you know they they did their absolute best for those those pick protections and getting that to convey, I have to at least believe from the folks that I have talked to that Joe is smart enough and understands enough uh, that their position that they did the best they could. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, the the Blazers are just like they've been a team. I, I've like Dame was he's been my one of my favorite players for a while. Um, the last year of him repeatedly telling us that he's not running from the grind has not exactly been my favorite version of Dame. Um, but hey, more power to him. Uh, do you do you see like so this opportunity now that Cronin has to kind of put pieces around Dame? Mm-hmm. Is this a situation where it's like they're going to give this this year? But if this doesn't pan out this year, is it going to be like finally time to be like, hey, look, like we tried, but this is not it. And, and do you think Dame, like, is there a scenario where Dame, I, I think, I, I do think he's being genuine when he says he would like he, to. He retire. is. Yeah. Like, like, legitimately, I, 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 for, for all the Knicks fans out there, don't get it twisted. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent believe that like in his ideal world, he wants to end his career in Portland. I also believe that it's like, he wants to end his career in Portland, but he wants to believe that he has a chance to compete. And so I guess my question is like, if, they make whatever moves they make, and we'll talk about kind of things that are on the table for them. If he, if they make these moves and this, and, you know, they it comes out and they kind of just wimp around in the first round or something like that, is that a scenario where next offseason he goes to Cronin, he goes to ownership, and it's like, hey, look, like we gave it a shot. You know that I put in my all. I respect everything you've done, but maybe it's best if we part ways. Is that a scenario that's still on the table a year from now? I don't think so. I I believe at bare minimum it's going to be eighteen months. Uh, what what is going to stop that from happening is $107 million. 
<laughs> yes, that's, that extension. That's, right, right. That extension is going to happen this summer. And when that extension happens, Dame is loyal beyond belief. So he's aware of it too. And there, there's a line that I always mention anytime this kind of comes up. Uh, I think it was like year three or year four. Somebody asked Dame kind of like, you know, the, the, the very ubiquitous, you know, how involved in you are, are you in player personnel decisions and stuff like that? And he's like, I'm too loyal. I'll, I'll tell you this. If I was in charge, Sasha Pavlovich would still be on this team. Sasha was a <laughs> end of the bench guy on his rookie year. And he loves Sasha. He still talks about him to this day. Yeah. Like, so the, like those, that's just how he is. He's cut from that cloth. I tend to believe that in two years, if things are not like really showing above where they were, which was they kind of had that ghost Western Conference Finals run that was, I mean, it was real, but was it, you know, kind of situation? The game seven in Denver was fun. Yeah, listen, that series was a blast. That team has lapped them already. I mean, they they humiliated them uh, last year. So... If they get back to where above where they were, basically back to around where the Dame Lamarcus team was, which is yeah, no, that's a Western Conference Finals team. Like, I don't think he goes anywhere. I, I, I genuinely don't. Now, does he pull a Gary Payton at the end of his career and, and maybe go to go to uh, the Golden State to go home for a year or two and try and chase a ring there or something along those lines? Maybe, maybe. But I, I genuinely see him playing 14, 15, 16 years in Portland. That's just kind of how he is. I don't think you're ever gonna get him. Before he's 34, 35, I don't think you're going to get him out of Portland unless something goes completely sideways. Yeah. Okay. That, that's interesting. I mean, was that was that closer like last? Because there was all that kind of smoke coming out during. I think that was the last summer was was yeah. was a very a, a very serious deal as far as like what is going to happen, and that was I think less about Dame wanting to go, like. Dame took meetings with LeBron James in LA. Like, if you're a hundred percent in, you don't take meetings elsewhere. Like, let's let's just be honest. But I think it was less about him wanting to go and him more about flexing his muscle for the first time and having a power struggle. Because while he respects Neil to a point, um, there was some stuff came out that after Neil was dismissed here that Dame was not a fan of, and and Neil basically through reporting, uh threw Dame under the bus a couple times. Uh, and I don't think their relationship is all that great now. So I, I would, I, I would definitely want to ask him what he thinks of that whole, that whole relationship, that dynamic now, but there was a power struggle and Dame won, and rightfully he should have. And that honestly, he should have done this two or three years ago. Uh, but through that process, I th- honestly think as weird as it sounds, I think him getting that surgery makes him stay here longer because he feels like he needs to owe and show that, hey, this is who I am. Not not that guy that you saw last year who was a shell of himself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, yeah. I mean, I didn't really, it was like, it, it was weird watching him because physically I was like, he still kind of looks the same. He's just missing all these fucking shots. Um, but yeah, like, okay. So look, they have this trade exception that I think is what, like 20.6 million? Is that 
right? Yeah, basically uh, call it 21 when it's all said and done because yeah. you've got the, what, 150% to play with. It, right. it, it, when you do the actual math, it goes up to tw- like 20.98 or something along those lines. Okay. So call it 21 million. Uh, they've got the seventh, seventh pick overall. Mm-hmm. They have the ability to either operate as an over-the-cap team or under-the-cap team. I think it probably makes more sense for them to operate as an over-the-cap team. They'll operate as over-the-cap. Yeah, that's what I would guess. Um, so, like, and, and, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit in when we were DMing, but, like, around the NBA, and I, this is partly a function, this always happens kind of, like, during the playoffs, but I, I do think there's, like, more discontent in a lot of ways and not even mm-hmm. just discontent but like free agency does not exist so the the way for players to really move is through trade and so yeah. i do think we're going to see a lot of trades this offseason and that i think gives portland an opportunity given the contracts they have and you know the nature of all of them like josh hart had a great season last year for him and his contract is super interesting and fun for like a team there's not a team in the league that wouldn't look at josh hart and be like yeah we want that yeah (laughs) yeah exactly 13 million dollars for a well-rounded player that can just kind of fit into literally any team any scheme yeah and it's like got all these weird functions to it Mm -hmm. and like non-guarantee dates and all that shit yeah all Uh, the weird triggers that were just like all the things that gms look at and go that's (laughs) perfect i can use that in like 18 different ways and they also have the bledsoe deal which another one has a really awkward guarantees at 3.8 million dollars right now but guarantees july 4th or 6th so it's actually you get a couple days into free agency um and, and i think i think that's that's a contract that could I think could easily be moved on draft night or something like yes. that too. I would I would imagine that's what likely ends up happening. Yeah. And so look, let's let's talk a little bit about like what is out there for Portland. I, I guess we'll just start with the Knicks specific one since we are in yeah. this podcast. Uh Julius Randle, who uh look like had has had a very interesting time in New York. His first year started off very poorly under the wonderful genius that is David Fisdale, uh, picked up, actually, after that. If you look at it, uh, I actually think his first year in New York was okay. Not great, not terrible, but okay. Mm-hmm. Second year, obviously, is amazing. Makes All-NBA, All-Star, whatever. Fans come back, and then this year, he's just all over the place, just angry, fucking getting into shit with people all the time, yelling at refs, or fucking flipping off the fans. It's just a <laughs> terrible situation. Um all around good times. Yes, exactly. But, like, there is a really talented player there, which we did see in 2020-21. And, like, you know, for the Blazers, you're talking about what do you want to... Like, you have to take some risks, I think, in their situation of, like, you know, they have some decent assets and contracts, but they don't have anything that, like... Because Dame is the one thing... And they're not going to trade Dame. Yeah. So, what do you... And I, and I... And I... We've talked about this. I have thought this all year, like... I don't see any scenario, especially not for fucking Julius Randle, where they're going to even consider Anthony Simons going on that trade. That's insane. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? With DraftKings same-game parlays, you can do just that create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win 
total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same-game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. I, I, I will tell you this right now. The bar for Anthony Simons being moved at bare minimum is Jalen Brown. At bare minimum. And even then, they probably don't do it. Interesting. Uh, I actually would be interested. That's an interesting trade. I wonder if Boston would it take would, a look at that. It, takes, it makes a lot of sense for both sides, to be I honest. Yeah, I agree. Um, but, like, like, Randall is a really talented guy. He plays a position at the four that I think is very important for the Blazers to fill. Um you know, we were kicking around some trades, and you put out a poll yesterday. I don't actually know how the fuck it ended up. But I think the hypothetical trade was Randall and the Knicks' 11th pick for the Blazers, that Bledsoe contract, and the 7th pick. Uh, personally, I'm just saying this, I think the Knicks would try to be like, hey, can we get that Milwaukee 2025 pick? I don't think Portland would do that. Is that fair I, to say? Yeah, they will, they will. The chances of them moving two picks... Uh, it would need to be for a higher player. caliber it would, it would need to be. So the bar starts probably with maybe OG Ananobi, definitely DeAndre Ayton. Like those, okay. are, those are the kind of guys like. Please don't, don't do it for OG Ananobi. That's not a good idea. <laughs> I, I tell you this, uh, Dame loves OG. So Dame, Dame, is, Dame needs to let. He needs to let you cook, all right? Uh, <laughs> but no, no, like, uh, so, but like, I, and I think we just ended up talking like, you know, they, you could probably get like a couple of seconds or something like that, maybe mm-hmm. thrown in. Now, is that a trade that you look at and you're like, it might, it's probably not the number one trade on your board, but if the Blazers made it, do you think like that's a trade that Dame would be one? Would he be okay with it? And do you, and do you think that's a trade that like is reasonable that, that actually you could look at it and be like, hey, look, like, we still keep a lottery pick, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can still trade. Now, you still have your two firsts to trade, like you said, for maybe a DeAndre Ayton or an OG Ananobi or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a trade? Like, is that a, a trade that you look at it? And if they may pull the trigger, you'd be like, yeah, that's fine. I like that. I think value wise, it makes sense. I think fit wise, it just doesn't because you're. And this is what makes it difficult. Um, Damon Ant are not the best defenders. And I, 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 I talk to, I talk to Ant regularly. I love him. Um, he, he will be the first one to tell you that his first couple of years in the league, he struggled mightily uh, before he started taking on like the offensive burden after Dame went down and like showed, Hey, I can be like Jordan Poole or Tyler Harrow or whatever, like young guard you want to talk about right now, like just dumb efficiency uh, while shooting the absolute lights out scoring at will. Um, he started to show some growth defensively. He started to show that he's not going to die on every screen. He's not going to fall asleep on the backside. Uh, he's going to be more aggressive in passing lanes. Like he started to show like little flashes. And what's what's funny about Ant is he he has told me you know last season I'm working on my handle. I'm working on my playmaking. And he went from basically not being able to like truly create to running an offense. Like he. <laughs> He has gotten so good at things. We were talking about this, you know, when he kind of just burst, like truly burst onto the scene of the second half of the year this year. 
uh, I go, man, I, listen, I always thought you'd be good. I never thought you'd be this good. He goes, it's funny, man. My dad told me the same thing the other night. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like one of those kind of things. Like, I knew you were nice. I didn't know you were that nice. So. It's, actually, it's actually really funny because I remember, like, so I've, I've thought for the longest time that the Blazers actually draft pretty well. Um, and just, like, just not lottery picks in the last 10 years outside right. of Damian Lillard. Like, I mean, yeah. and, and, and so like, it's funny because I remember when they traded Barton for Flalo, like my theory has always been like, they're a team that if there's like a guy they've drafted and maybe he's in a second or third year and they're maybe thinking about moving him. They're not a bad team to do a deal with because no. I think their scouts are pretty good. Clearly. Yeah, they no, get, they're, they're doing they right. really well. That part. Like if you look at their second round picks outside of like Jokic and Draymond, Find me a team that has done better in the second round. You've got guys like Pat Connaughton. You've gotten uh, Will Barton. You've got Gary Trent Jr. Mm-hmm. Like that's find me somebody who's done that good in the second round. That's that's nuts to get like legitimate high end playoff yeah. caliber rotation guys. Um, but yeah, like and that's where I said like the, the thing with Neil is the, you know he's done really well on the edges, and that's again yeah. one of those edges. As far as the Randall part of this, I think the value side of it makes a ton of sense, and this is kind of coming back to the whole Damon and thing. Those three guys on the floor defensively just does not work, especially with Nurk being just so limited to drop. Um, yeah, yeah. He likes to say he can do more, and he has shown that he can do a little bit more. But he's also seven foot, three hundred pounds, and come playoff time, the basketball changes quite a bit, and you just can't have that many guys that can get hunted. Uh, Nurk, his range is severely limited. Um, while he can knock down kind of a quasi eight ten footer. He's just not a great finisher, and he's a subpar three-point shooter. I think he finished at like 28 30%. Like he's taking like one a game. It's not a big deal. Um, but he and Randall kind of operate in the same position. So if if you were able to swing another deal where you had uh, a stretch big who could be a rim protector, like a Miles Turner, like if that was their big, you could probably talk me into that a little bit more because then they could try to get a, 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 a legitimate 3 and D wing because then you can move some of the playmaking elements to Randall. Uh, Randall and Miles Turner. Randall and Miles Turner do work out together in the offseason. Listen, man, I, I as a front court, that's a fun front court. Like they, they I think they complement each other really well. Uh, Turner being again that floor spacer and rim protector that allows Randall to play a couple steps up, like free throw line extended, and play in a little bit of space defensively and not. Be totally on an island, uh, and, and you have Dame, it. who's like going to have his own gravity too. Yes, ex- exactly. Else. And you you get all of a sudden Miles Turner on roll gravity uh, or uh, a pop gravity, and you have Randall working two man games in the middle of the floor, and Anthony Simons on the weak side. Yeah, you can like you can talk yourself into that, but like as soon as you put Yusuf Nurkic in that, you're like that's clunky. <laughs> like so, for you Randall has to be part of a sequence. Yeah, and that's that's exactly it. like, and so, and I think honestly, for the Blazers, it would. It, I think that's something they would consider. But it would have to be a part of a sequence in a very particular set of circumstances, and I think it would be like option like five or six for them. Okay. The the, the like the guys that I, I see them going after, uh, Aiton and, and OG are the two names that have come up uh, a ton in discussions. Uh, Jeremy Grant obviously is just ad nauseum. Basically, if that deal was gonna like if they want that deal to happen, it'll happen. And the Blazers aren't going to trade their number seven for Jeremy Grant. That's not going to happen. They'll they'll yeah, move exactly. the Milwaukee pick. Keon Johnson and Eric Bledsoe. That'll likely be the package for Jeremy Grant. Yeah, and I think I think people like you know we talked about this also a little bit, but like Keon Johnson to some, uh, not to some. I, I would I would guess to like a decent amount of front offices in the, in the NBA still retains like first round first round pick yeah. value because he's a yeah. kid. 
Yeah, and he was. I mean, look, like the draft last year was ridiculous. Like so deep, so loaded. Mm-hmm. He went what twenty first, I think. Yeah. So like, like in this draft, there are probably front offices that would view him as like a fourteen. 15 I was just saying, probably right at the back end of the lottery. Yeah. yeah. So like, I I think that that on the surface you would look at that trade and be like, why the fuck is Detroit not getting more value? But I would venture to guess they they view. Keon Johnson in that scenario as getting another first. That's basically getting two first round picks and dead salary and allows them to get, like say, Hey, thank you, Jeremy, for your time and service. We'll take our two first round picks right. uh, and we'll let Portland pay you. So that, I, I've seen that, that same pushback, like Detroit will get more for that. I'm like, do you want to put money on that? Because <laughs> I, yeah, I, like, I, I don't, I don't think who, they will. Yeah. I don't know who people think Jeremy Grant is. And like he, he'd be good for Portland just because, he defends. He can play that stretch four spot for them, which obviously mm-hmm. with Nurkic there, they need. Um, you know, he can play off Dame pretty easily. But like, like I mean, you look around the NBA like that. There's what teams are like we're Jeremy Grant away, you know, like and and have the capacity to make an offer that is enticing. I, I think the other team that might be in the mix would probably be somebody like Washington, who's been sniffing around, I think, for a while on him. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I, I guess it's like. Would they rather? Would they be willing to put a Kispert in a deal? Would they be willing to put a Dia in a deal or one of these guys? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And obviously, Portland has that additional first they can trade. I don't think Washington. If, if Washington wanted to throw the twelfth pick in, all right, now it's a different story. Or tenth pick in, now it's a different story. But I don't think they would do that. So yeah, like, I, and you know, this Jeremy Grant thing. I just saw that Damian Lillard liked a tweet of like, I think. Let me find it. It's actually pretty funny. Uh, let's see. Oh yeah. Uh, Damian Lillard liked a tweet, and it's from a Thunder page suggesting that if the Blazers could get Jeremy Grant and Lou Dort for the seventh pick... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cronin says yes so fast he has a heart attack. I'm not sure that's true, although I do love Lou Dort, and I think he'd be a tremendous get for uh, Portland. Um, but, like, yeah, I, I like the idea of Jeremy Grant there. Uh, Listen, eight- if you're adding that value, if the number seven pick turned into one of the better perimeter defenders in the league in Dort on a value deal and overpaying Jeremy Grant and your lineup is now Dame Ant, Dort, Grant, Nurkic for one pick and you still have the other stuff to maybe go do something else. I think if they've, if they've exhausted the options at the top, like the bigger names, then yeah, I could see that. And here's here's where I think things get really interesting is if you're Portland in this, in this, this instance, the other name I think to watch is, and we're talking about fours, uh, Randall obviously falls in the same scale as far as pay scale with Grant, Randall, and the other guy's John Collins. John Collins is a name I've heard, and I've heard Atlanta wants to get off salary bad. And again, Portland, while they don't have cap space, what do they have? The capacity, the expiring contracts, and the capacity to take money back. They have like, again, Collins makes more than the TPE, but in order to get Collins in, they can opt. They, they have the ability with Bledsoe's contract to match it basically to whatever they need to and get it done. And that's the other thing is they, they, they can just, and they could go over the cap to resign Nurkic. They can go over the cap to resign uh, Anthony Simons. So they have all of these mechanisms and that was, that's really what Cronin has done. He's allowed flexibility and, and all these 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 mechanisms for them to go about and go after transactions in various manners. Yeah, I, John Collins is interesting. I would prefer that, like, if I was a Blazers fan, I, offensively, I definitely see the appeal. And I actually think, to his credit, he's improved on defense. Mm-hmm. But it feels like 
Like, this is why it's so weird for me, because if you're going to make an offensive-type play like that at the four, I really think, like, Randall is a higher ceiling opportunity, but for them, it makes more sense to go for a defensive guy. And I think, like, because you're going to have Dame, obviously, is going to be on his usage, and he's obviously going to have a lot of touches. I think it makes sense to get more of, like, I don't want to say 3 and D, because, like, Jeremy Grant and guys like that are a little bit more than just, you know, spot-up stands. They, they can do, they, yeah. they've had a little bit of wiggle through their game. Right. So, like, but, like, getting more of a player like that makes sense to me. John Collins is a good player. I think he would obviously be an, an upgrade for for the Blazers. Um, and, you know, look, I, I think if you're Atlanta, you'd probably want a guy like Josh Hart potentially back, too, in a package mm-hmm. because they need activity. They need guys that give a shit on defense on the wing there so bad. Josh Hart would be a little bit of an upgrade for them. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about DeAndre Ayton because you mentioned him, and obviously mm-hmm. he is a name that is floating out there now with how unceremoniously their season ended. Um, you know, is that a guy that at that point, like, would they think about trading the seventh pick? I, the yes. thing with, so, okay. so unequivocally, the DeAndre Ayton, that's, that's, that is them trading the seventh pick. That would be, uh, the seventh pick, probably one of Hart or, or little, uh, and Yusuf Nurkic in a dual sign and trade. Because Phoenix has to get a big back one way or another, and with where Phoenix's books are at right now, they do not they do not have the capacity to sign a starting caliber center uh, into cap space. But Yusuf Nurkic, by virtue of his bird rights, the Blazers can go over the pack cap, pay him, make Clutch happy, put him in a unique situation in, in Phoenix where he'd be on a good team, um, and I think both sides end up being happy in that situation. Yeah, that, I think that that's. That would be a good move for Phoenix for sure. Now, is that like so? Once you do that, I guess they would still have the capacity to make the Jeremy Grant deal yep. that you outlined. So you get a little bit less, maybe like you're a little bit more limited at the three, four spots as far as like what you do. But I think with you, the idea of going for, and the, the, if you look at all these guys, with the, with the exception of Grant, you look at Ayton, you look at OG, you look at Collins. How old are they? They're right, all they're like 23, 24. 24, yeah. So what what you're doing is you're getting these guys that are all like, you know, deep playoff run tested vets, quote unquote, that are still stupidly young. Uh, they kind of split both timelines, so they'd be impactful on day one, which you don't get with a rookie. But they also are a part of the next era if Dame does move on in two or three years or whatever ends up happening in the next era of Anthony Simons and those guys. Now, all of a sudden you're loading up and now your, your roster makes sense. Your books make sense because for the past five years, that just hasn't been the case in Portland. Yeah. Uh, it's so with like, I guess like how this all goes, like, do you, let's say they get, you know, Let's say, like, I think the home run scenario is Aiton and Jeremy Grant. Like, that's, that'd be an A-plus offseason. considered. So, if they're able to pull that off, like, how confident are you that they'll be able to put together... A, like, is that to you a team that has a chance to really contend in the West? Um, and, and I know their pick situation is weird because the pick they traded out is, like, super insanely protected. Um... Is that, like, I mean, because you still don't have a lot of young talent there. I know Nas Little is there, who's had a lot of injury issues. Uh, like, what what is your confidence level, then, with which is kind of like the ability to 
put out like a, a contending roster in that scenario. They still need work for sure. And, and this thing is that I, I have actually appreciated about Cronin so far is that he has not been shy about this. It's the whole idea of like, they're not going to be like done in one cycle. They're, they're not going to just all of a sudden, Hey, this summer now that, that, that they're contending, they're back. No, it'll, it'll be in steps because he, he's, he's laid out the fact that like they need a, a full cycle. So like multiple MLEs, multiple, you know, the BAE either this year or next year, uh, multiple exceptions if they make, because one of the things that, that hasn't been talked about a ton is the Blazers have the bird rights for Joe Ingles. They're more than likely going to re-sign Joe Ingles to rehab in Portland from his, from his torn ACL. That's the Oladipo thing. Yeah. And then you know what they're going to do? They're going to look to move him at the trade deadline where he's being paid probably anywhere between 10 and $15 million. That perfect contract that every team is looking for to get X amount of money off their books or to, you know, finagle something that makes sense for them to make an adjustment. And so they had that opportunity to, to be aggressive at a trade deadline again for a team that all of a sudden now you've got Dame. Now you've got Ant, ants under control on his books. Nurk's under control in his books, or if it's Aiden or, or Grant, they're under control in their books. Like everybody's got their deals. So now you're going, okay, now what do we really need? And they can take a look at that and, and, and make a, a real assessment. Like at that point in time, you're going to have a, a an understanding of where Nasir Little looks. Like, do you, you are you comfortable committing money to him long term? Like, is he a guy you want to keep? If Josh Hart's still on the roster, do you want to keep him? Do you want to package him with that expiring deal to get a bigger name guy to come into Portland? Like, that's the thing is they. And this is where I give Cronin some credit, but it's with a very short leash because I've learned very much not to trust this organization over the last five or six years. <laughs> but he has left him opportunities to make changes, to be aggressive. And in the past, that has not been there. So the the, the long way around this is, Yes, I think they'll be better. I think they'll be back to about where they were if they do the things I think that they're going to do or attempting to do. They'll be back right around where they were, you know, depending on anywhere from four to eight in the West, because I think mm-hmm. any given season health is going to dictate those things. But I, I think when it's all said and done, they'll be around there, but they'll be in a better shape than they were. The roster will make more sense. They won't have five guys that are six three or, or, or under, you know, getting plus minutes a night. So I, I think that's going to put them in a, in a position to, to make some, some more effective changes and actually get some stuff done. Uh, uh, you know, as far as making changes, uh, Chauncey Billups obviously had his first year as head coach this season uh, in Portland. What, what did you think of the job he did? And is that a guy that did you see enough this year from him? I actually was, look, we, the Knicks played Portland in Portland and blew a horrific lead in the last quarter, in the fourth quarter, um, but like when I watched Portland, I actually thought, I mean, it was pretty interesting because they were clearly trying to tank down the stretch and they had to shut down like two or three guys cause they started winning games again. Like, cause Nurkic came back and all of a sudden Ant and Nurkic were just like beating teams and they were like, actually, you know what? You guys are hurt now. Um, but did you see enough from him where you're like, yeah, I think this, like there, there is something here that are you confident about him and you know, what kind of was your takeaway from his first year on the job, which was very challenging in a lot of ways, obviously. Chauncey's an incomplete entirely. Uh, And that's not even like a a shot at him. I just, he didn't coach a team that made any sense. You know what I mean? You you look at it and I I just, they came out and they were a worse defensive team than they were 
last year. And I think a lot of that had to do with one Dame being hurt Two, the vibes on this team were a disaster. Uh, everybody was just done. Uh, I think, uh, like you said, Norm came back, you know, basically for the money. Cove was being put in a role he did not want to be in. Uh, it was so bad that he got benched. Uh, you know, a starting caliber guy making $12 million a year got benched. That happens a lot in the NBA. Uh, Chauncey and Neil at that point in time basically promised eight different guys more touches, which that goes over well every single year. Um, and Dame tried to accommodate. He tried to step back. Uh, one guy whose touches went up, uh, who probably shouldn't have, was CJ's. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that ruffled more than a few feathers. Uh, his, his, his usage and his touches went up, and it was like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You're, you were not part of this. Um, but Nurk wasn't happy because a lot of his post-ups disappeared. Norm wasn't happy because he's playing the three. Uh, Cove is being tasked with being like an island one-on-one wing stopper when he's you know a deep-lying helper. Uh, you know they're they're trying to blitz and be more aggressive, and nobody's talking. Guys are dying, and it's just it was it was bad. And I think the vibes and the injuries screwed up more than anything that Chauncey could have helped or hurt. And so I look at it and I go. I don't we'll know, see. man. I, yeah. like, let's see what he looks like with, with the new roster because this almost the exact same time, Ime was, you know, this close, pinch your fingers together to getting canned in January. And look where they are now. And I think they, both those guys were coaching the same way. Probably throwing some of their guys under the bus where they maybe shouldn't have. Uh, playing very, very aggressive styles, changing things up from what they were, holding guys accountable publicly. Um, I think you just got two different reactions because one team was very much uh, in the tank and the other one was like, no, we can do this. And I I, I see some of the merit stuff that you want to see from Chauncey, but in that's all theory. Like We don't know how it's going to play out because the final 23 games of the season, they put on maybe the worst team in NBA history on the floor. It was, what did they lose, like 11 straight to close the year? They lost 21 of 23, and those two wins they stumbled into were just shambolic wins. I mean, just (laughs) had no business winning those games. One of them was against the Wizards, where I think Kuzma went like 3 of 19. Um, God, what was the other one? I can't even remember now. Uh, They had the four wins before the All-Star break, where where Simons, which went absolutely bonkers and obliterated Trey Young and uh, made Job Rant look silly. Um but you know that probably cost them. That probably cost them a top four pick more than anything this year. Uh, but yeah, that, that post All Star break, they were. That's the worst basketball team I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't even say that. I don't even say that like, like jokingly. It's the worst basketball team I've ever seen. They they competed. They played hard, but the talent deficit was so stark. Like, there's a lot of Euro League teams that would have competed and maybe beat that team. Like, it was just not good.
Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallin drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallin wherever you get your podcasts.